0: Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Thank you. Thank you. Let me know you're out there. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Thank you, David, for sharing that with us this morning and as we celebrate our veterans. Um, you know, it's a, it's a blessing to live in America. It's a blessing to live in the state of Texas, and I'm very thankful uh, for the commitment that our men and women uh, have made to us and for us around the world. And uh, we celebrate that today, so thank you for leading us in that. Um, this morning, uh, <laughs> you know, your, your best friend is the one who tells you the most truth. Um, your best friend is the one who is going to... Um, you know, tell you when you have something on your face and you're, you're walking in front of people and you need to kind of wipe that off, and they'll they'll let you know that um, they're the one who tells you the most truth, even if you don't want to hear it. And and I I recognize that um, that our passage this morning is a difficult passage, and it's one that we may or may not want to hear. Uh, and I want to be very upfront with you this morning that my goal this morning is for you to make a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. You're not here just to hear a a message, you're here to make a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. And sometimes we think, well, I've already done that, Brother Ridge, I've I've made a commitment of my life. But I think you're going to want to hear what I have to say this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to continue on in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, as the pastor of Memorial Baptist Church, sometimes we receive personal handwritten notes that are in my office mailbox, you know. um, They come from from people, and and, uh, sometimes I know them, sometimes I don't. You know, other pastors received notes as well. Um, here's a note that was received by one pastor. He wrote about his experience. He said it was in a plain, white, small envelope, but the message inside was anything but ordinary. This handwritten note. Besides the words which explained why the letter was sent, the message really consisted of two words. And it said, Go out. Go out. And the thing which made the message extraordinary was that it was, it claimed to be a message from God. And the letter was from a woman who, as this pastor writes, whom I've never met, and who, as far as I know, has never been to our church. But she claimed God had given her a message to deliver to us Go out. He said the church staff and I debated for a while about what it meant. Maybe we should evacuate the building. Someone else suggested maybe we need to go to a restaurant. And then we kind of finally figured out that what she was talking about probably had to do with evangelism, to go out. You know, every once in a while we get a letter like that around here from someone who claims to have a message from the Lord for us. And we take those seriously. We read those and we understand that. Or, or maybe, maybe you've received an email lately from a Christian in uh, maybe an African nation who recently came to possess a large amount of money. You know, this money that's being hidden by the corrupt government they're writing to you because if you will just help them get the money out, it could be used for God's work. So if you'll help them get a million or so dollars out, then they would be happy to share what God has blessed them with. See, all around us are voices that claim to speak God's truth. They tell us what to believe They tell us what to do, they tell us how to vote, they tell us how to spend our money, How to what to do with our time, they tell us how to raise our children, and they tell us how to navigate our relationships. They claim to tell us our destiny, they claim to tell us the truth, but the truth is, is that many of the voices out there that claim to speak on behalf of God, many of them are fakers, many of them are cheats and phonies. All you need to do is wander through the bookstore or flip your way through a few religious programs on TV and you will encounter some of these fakers and their words are confident and persuasive. Their followers are many. Their results are remarkable. But they do not speak the truth. See, the Bible is a dangerous book. I believe, the most dangerous book in the world. Dangerous because it claims to be, and indeed is, God's own words. The infallible, the inerrant, authoritative voice of God. So it's no wonder... That people turn to the Bible to back up their own ideas and values. I mean, down through history and even in our own day, the words of this book have been twisted to support all kinds of perversions. And the reason that people use the Bible in that way is because they hope to draw from its authority. In that They're trying to tell us that this isn't my idea, this is what God says, and so you better listen to Him. But nobody likes to be told what to do. We don't like to be told what to do. And given the choice, most of us would choose to be given a choice. We want selection, we want to leave our options open, and we want to be able to decide things for ourselves and fortunately for us fortunately we have a choice you know dietrich bonhoeffer the german theologian who died in the flossenbürg camp on april 9th 1945 he wrote a significant commentary on the sermon on the mount and it takes up the second part of his book the cost of discipleship And Bonhoeffer, he spoke against cheap grace. And he spoke for the commitment of every Christian. My goal this morning is for each and every one of us to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. See, nothing could be more devastating than to meditate long and hard on Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and then resolve to improve a little. Jesus didn't preach this sermon so that we could have a warm feeling. He didn't preach this sermon so that we could change a little bit. He spoke the truth from Almighty God so that we could know the truth and the truth would set us free. See, the discipleship which Jesus calls us to, most of us don't have a clue about that. But understand this, if you sign on to follow Jesus Christ, it will end in death. They killed him. What is your commitment to Jesus Christ? Because the discipleship that he calls us to is absolute. It's not playing around. It's not dabbling. It's not when you feel like it. It's absolute. And it's radical in the sense that it gets to the root of human conduct and the root of relationships that we have between God and His people. See, a person either enters the kingdom of God or he doesn't. We either walk the road that leads to life or we walk the road that leads to destruction. Listen. There's no third alternative. It's one way or the other. That is our choice. It's not if we feel like it. It's not if we want to. These are our choices. Nothing, nothing at all could have been more crucial, of more crucial significance than following Jesus. I mean, he concludes the Sermon on the Mount with a number of paired alternatives. This way or this way. He talks about two paths. He talks about two trees. He talks about two claims. He talks about two houses. And he also insists that there are two ways, but only Two. See these verses of the sermon they demand decision and commitment of the type that pleads God for mercy and pardon. I mean this kind of discipleship is characterized by a deep repentance which hungers for nothing more than conforming to God's will and doing his will. But listen there's only two ways And simple failure to make a deep commitment is already a commitment not to do so. So Jesus' way demands repentance. It demands trust. It It demands obedience. And so refusal, stemming as it must, from an unrepentant, an arrogance, unbelief, or even disbelief, In short, is self centeredness rather than God centeredness. And it can only be understood as rebellion. See, the sermon offers two ways and only two one ends in life, good fruit, entrance into the kingdom of heaven, and stability. The other ends in destruction. Bad fruit, exclusion from the kingdom, along with ruin. See, near the conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus turned to encouragement for commitment and warning against falling by the wayside. And to follow Jesus has never been cheap and it's never been easy. But what do we want? We want it cheap and we want it easy. But it's never been that way. You know it and I know it. It's never been that way. To follow Christ means a costly commitment. Listen carefully to Jesus' idea about being a disciple in Matthew 7. Beginning in verse 13, Jesus said this He said, Enter. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Verse 15. Beware of the false prophets... ...who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire." So then you will know them by their fruits. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us your word. Father, we thank you for the choice that you've given us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that even now that you would pour yourself out Upon each of us. That you would examine our hearts. And Holy Spirit we would know. If indeed we know Jesus. I pray that you would guide us into all truth. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. You know, Jesus gives a command here that we are to consider. This isn't a suggestion. When he begins in verse 13, he says, enter, enter through the narrow gate. And he talked about discipleship from the beginning. And he, he began with a consideration of his command. This is an imperative. It's a command command. He's not making a suggestion. He's not saying, well, if you want to. He's saying, enter through the narrow gate. In considering his command, we should see two gates, a narrow one and a wide one. And to become a Christian means that we enter through that narrow gate. That we come to Jesus as a sinner As we come as one who is helpless. As we come needing a Savior because we can't do it ourselves. We enter through that narrow gate because we need new life. Such a beginning represents this narrow gate. When we come as a sinner, when we come helpless, needing a Savior, needing new life. I've done that in my life. I'm not speaking about something that I don't know. The reason that I share this with you is because it's the truth. If you've not come to a place where you have confessed that you are a sinner before Almighty God, that you fall grossly short of His glory for you, then you need to do that. You see, in our nation we have something called the continental divide. The great continental divide of the Americas. And when you think about that, the name given to this, it, it, to the principal and largely mountainous hydrological divide of the Americas, it separates the watersheds that drain into the Pacific Ocean and also into the Atlantic Ocean. Starting in Alaska, it runs down through Canada, through the center of the United States, through Mexico, then through South America. And they say that a house situated atop of this great divide determines whether a drop of rainfall will end up in the Pacific Ocean or end up in the Atlantic Ocean. And it all comes down to a fraction of an inch on the rooftop of this house whether or not it ends up in the Pacific or the Atlantic Ocean. Because this is where the great continental divide comes. See, there's going to be a separation. Jesus tells about that in Matthew 25. Where he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. See, this portion of scripture here that we are shown, the the, the scripture's great divide. There's two gates. There's a narrow one. And there's a wide one. This narrow gate, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few, there are few who find it. Oh, Understand this. We get caught up in the things of life. We get caught up in in family business. We get caught up in our careers. We get caught up in all of the things that really don't matter. I'm not saying our family don't matter. I'm not saying your job doesn't matter. What I'm saying is the thing that ultimately matters is whether or not you spend an eternity with Christ in heaven. Because everything else is temporary. Everything else can go away. But that, you have to get that right. He says, two gates enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. The gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life and few are those who find it. Both roads, hear me, both roads are religious. Both roads are religious. He's not talking about religion and non-religion here. It's not Christianity and non-Christianity. This is true Christianity and any other form of Christianity. As well as any other form of religion. See, because both roads are religious. Listen, both of them promise God. Both of them promise heaven. (laughs) Nobody... Absolutely nobody is selling hell. I mean, come join our group. We're going to hell. Nobody is selling that. Nobody is going to the bedroom and drinking poison to go immediately to hell. Nobody sells hell. Everybody sells heaven. But the broad road, though it's marked heaven, is a straight line to hell. So the command comes very clearly, enter, enter at the narrow gate. Don't go where everyone else is going. Don't follow the crowd. Go to the narrow gate and enter through the narrow gate. Because that's the way to life. Oh, but we want to be liked. Oh, we have this need for affirmation. We don't want someone to think that we are narrow if we go through the narrow gate. We don't want someone to think that we are narrow minded. You'll choose. One of two roads. You'll be one of two trees. You'll be one of two disciples. You'll build on one of two foundations. See, in considering Christ's command, we should see the two ways the broad way and the narrow way. And the narrow way is to live according to the will of God. That's what he says. Also, in considering Christ's command, we should observe the two companies the many and the few. The majority of people will not admit sinfulness, they will not live as Christ proposes and will want to be in the majority. Well, I don't want anyone to think I'm a Jesus freak. Hey, I'm a Jesus freak. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for my sinfulness. See, Jesus encourages us. To do an examination, Jesus gave his followers tests in order to examine people. These tests can help you discern between what is true and what is false. And Jesus gave us these three examinations. First, he encouraged people not to judge by mere outward appearances. False prophets often come disguised as wolves in sheep's clothing. Beware of sheep imitations. Leave them alone because they will soon behave like sheep. Jesus changed the metaphor from sheep and wolves to trees and their fruit. From the sheep's clothing, which a wolf may wear, to the fruit which a tree has to bear. See, a wolf can disguise himself, but a tree can't. Sooner or later, the tree betrays itself by its fruit. And the first kind of fruit by which false prophets reveal their true identity is in the realm of their conduct and their character. Because a bad tree cannot bear good fruit, but a bad tree will bear bad fruit. His words. And a good tree will bear good fruit. Don't judge by mere outward appearances. Judge by the fruit. Secondly, Jesus encouraged people to look further than words. People will often say, Lord, Lord, look what we've done in your name. But they won't do the will of the Father. It's the difference in doing work for God... And doing the will of God. You know, it's kind of like if you have youngsters and you tell them to do something and they do everything but that. You know, I asked you to take out the trash. But daddy, I cleaned my room. I picked up my toys. I did the other things that I thought you would do. It's like that's not the will of the father. We have to do the will of the Father, not just work for God. Because we, it, it's easy for us to say, well, I'm doing this for God. But that may or may not be what his desire is. Jesus encouraged people to look further than words. And what does Jesus say? They cry out, Lord, Lord, look what we've done. We've prophesied in your name. We've we've cast out demons in your name. We've we've done miracles in your name. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. I don't want to be that guy. Depart from me. I never knew you. Jeff O'Hara, he wrote this. He said, why call me Lord, Lord? And do not the things I say. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me the life and live me not. You call me master and obey me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. You call me bread and eat me not. You call me truth and believe me not. You call me Lord and serve me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Thirdly, Jesus told his disciples not to discern Christians by religious means. I mean, people sometimes cast out demons and they perform miracles, but the Lord never knows them as his. See, many people admire Jesus. They admire his teachings. They may claim to believe in him and even to follow him, but profession is not enough. Serving him is not enough. Even doing miracles in his name is not enough. It's about a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. It's about a person. It's not about saying this or saying that or walking the aisle or or, or being good enough or paying your tithes or doing this or doing that. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus, then you are part of his kingdom. It's very simple. If you know Jesus, then you obey him. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Maybe not perfectly perfectly but deliberately. Intentionally. See, if you don't know Him, if you don't have a relationship with Him, then you will be excluded. Not by me, but by Jesus. Depart from me, I never knew you. See, the only... Authentic examination for genuine Christians is to observe their fruits. And the fruits seem to be godly characteristics in their lives. But notice also he gives us a destination determined. The Lord spoke of two gates. He spoke of two ways. He spoke of two companies, of two fruits. But he also spoke of two destinations. One way leads to destruction. The way at the beginning is attractive, but at the end it's destruction. The other way leads to life. It is life not only here and now, but also future for what is to come. See, I pray and I hope that you can say with that hymn writer, my hope is built on nothing less. Than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. But wholly lean on Jesus' name in that great chorus. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Two gates, two ways, two destinations, two crowds, two behaviors. Listen. To be a Christian is costly. Deciding to go through that narrow gate, to live on the narrow road, to examine oneself constantly for inconsistency, so that we indeed are not hypocrites, but that we are trying to live according to God's will. But folks, it ends in a glorious destination. Jesus Christ has been preparing this place for a long time. He was a carpenter. I can't imagine what he has in store for each one of us. But I know this. It's got to be glorious. So our Lord ends his sermon with a command. And a strong, unmistakable command at that. And now it's make up your mind time on the mountain. He's been preaching all through this Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. And now it's time for their commitment. It's time for them to make up their mind on what they're going to do. Are they going to enter through the narrow gate or are they going to go through the wide gate? He gives them two choices as he gives us two choices. There is no third alternative. This whole sermon has been in a contrast. The whole sermon has been a contrast between true religion and the religion of Judaism. It's been a contrast between true religion and all other religions. All other ways that humans come up with as being ways to God. See, there are only two conceivable human ways to God. Let me break this down very simply. Two conceivable human ways. One involves your work and your effort, your righteousness, your goodness, which, by the way, falls very short of God's glory. The other way acknowledges that you have none of what you need to please God. That we are sinful through and through. And that we need a Savior. We need somebody to come and pay the price for us. It either involves something you do to please God. Or it involves something that Jesus Christ did to please God. There is no third alternative. Either you contribute to getting yourself there or you don't. Either you bring your righteousness to God and it comes and it counts for your salvation or your righteousness is filthy rags and it counts for nothing. But this is what it means to confess our own sinfulness before Almighty God. Is to say anything good that I have done is like filthy rags compared to your righteousness. But folks, that's what it takes to enter the narrow gate. To be able to say, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about Him. And what He has done. Understand, we must believe And trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. If you're trusting in anything else, you're going to fall short. You need Jesus. So I ask you, have you entered in at the narrow gate? Have you come before him and confessed your sinfulness... I'm not talking about being a member of the church. I'm not talking about being baptized. I'm talking about entering through the narrow gate. Because the commitment that Jesus requires is to be all in with him. Not playing around, not dabbling, not adding with it, not adding to it, but all in with him. In just a moment, our worship team is going to come back and lead us. And as they do, my prayer is that every one of us would come before him in that way. That we would make sure that we have entered in through the narrow gate. That there would be no doubt. You didn't just come... To hear a message from God's word today. You came. To make a commitment. To Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Loving father. We pray a prayer this morning. For everyone. Who hears this message. Oh God may you give. Give. Each of them the power to do what they have no strength in themselves to do, and that is to enter into your kingdom through the narrow gate. We ask, Father, we we seek and we knock, knowing that you have promised to answer. For this grace and power, we plead for desperate seeking. Sinners. Who are seeking You with all of their heart. That this morning, that by Your grace and Your mercy, that Your Holy Spirit would draw us to You. That if we have never confessed Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, that we would do that today. Father, that today, you would draw us into your kingdom. That, Father, we would recognize that our righteousness is as filthy rags. That, God, we can do nothing to earn your righteousness, but that Jesus Christ has done it all for us. But we have to come to that place where we are willing to confess our sin. And our sinfulness to you, allowing the Lord Jesus to become our Savior and Lord, and resting upon His righteousness, resting upon the blood that He shed for us at Calvary, that we would be yours. And that as you look at us, you would see the precious blood of Jesus flowing over us, washing us clean. And Father, that we would know Jesus. That on that day when there's that great separation, that he wouldn't have any problem understanding and knowing who we are. Because we've walked with him for years. Father, we thank you for what you did on Calvary for us. Guide us in this time of response. Father, a time of commitment, a time of renewal, a time of coming clean with you, a time of entering through the narrow gate. Father, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.